You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. Dare to follow your heart. Dare to follow your soul. Dare to follow an instinct. Dare to try something. Dare to, and again, pay attention. How does it feel? Does this give me energy? Does it take away energy? Does it light me up? Does it, does it give me heat? Is there energy? Because you may not even know what's going to excite you until you try it. That was Tama Keeves, the best-selling author of four books, with her latest being Thriving Through Uncertainty, Moving Beyond Fear of the Unknown, and Making Change Work for You. She joins me today to discuss the mindset and practice shifts that we need to embrace to not let fear of uncertainty keep us from moving forward for the life that awaits us. Much of this conversation dances with creative paradoxes, such as how showing up sometimes means not doing your work, how undoing is the doing that most needs to be done, and how we have to find the courage to be inspired while inspiration gives us courage. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Tama, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have this conversation because so many creative folks, um, they don't realize they get st- stuck and stopped around their fear of uncertainty and really playing that out. So I'm super grateful that you wrote the book and I'm just jazzed to talk to you about it today. I'm so thrilled to be here because like you said, you know, uh, I think so many times it's uncertainty that's holding us back from our dearest dreams, our biggest dreams and playing bigger than we that, that what we want to do. You know, because when you're uncertain, you get scared, you you might choose from your weakness, you might listen to somebody else's voice instead of your own. And I want to stop that. I want to help people listen from to their strength and their genius. Okay, so um, Thriving Through Uncertainty is your fourth book. Um, and so we'd like to go back to the beginning, though, right? And talk mm-hmm. about how you got started on this path. Because it's not like, you know, you were the writerly type and, you know, you knew from the beginning, or maybe you did and you just took a different route. But tell us how you got started on this path and the unusual path you took to get here. Absolutely. You know, so all of my work really stems from my own changes and from my own shifts, like like any other author, I, I guess, of I did know I wanted to write. When I was young, I had that dream. I had that, you know, and the creative writing teacher was gorgeous. So to me, it was like, oh my God, it's a sign. I have to do this, you know? But I grew up in Brooklyn, New York to an Orthodox Jewish family. And I was told, you're gonna write, you're gonna starve, you know? And so that was like the go for your dreams talk. And so I, like many people, shoved down that dream, shoved down those instincts, squelched what I really wanted and chose what I thought was practical. And uh, I went off to law school, got accepted to Harvard Law School, graduated with honors from Harvard Law School. And I was on partnership track in a major law firm. And I felt so unhappy and it just felt so meaningless because I kept thinking, there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be something else. And thank God a friend said at the time to me, you know, think about it. If you've been this successful doing something you don't even love, what could you do with what you love? So that's really what began this whole journey for me. That's why I'm so passionate about people listening to their own genius and their own instincts instead of what they think is practical or, quote, reasonable. So that's that's how I began this whole journey. That's fantastic. Well, and I love to hear how how books form in the sense of like, again, this is your fourth book, unless you've got one hidden that I couldn't find on the internet somewhere. Um, and so <laughs> in me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. in all of us, I think. Um, and so talk about the genesis of this book in relationship to your last book and just your general body of work. You know, I guess it's because uh, I'm a coach and I work with so many entrepreneurs and visionaries and change agents and artists. And, uh, you know, they're my fave people of just people who are really, really living their dreams or going for their dreams. And one of the things I guess I kept seeing because I've talked about, you know, uh, my other books about wildly succeeding in your life's work or creating the life your life work of. But what I kept seeing is that, again, people don't know how to handle uncertainty, especially if you're on an entrepreneurial path, if you 
you're growing, if you're developing yourself, it's about reaching for the highest reaches inside yourself. And most of us just don't know how to handle uncertainty. And we, we play smaller or we choose lesser than we deserve. And so that's really what I started wanting to explore. Also the thought, because I'm guilty of this too, I always write to heal myself. You know, all my books are for, my books are really for me. I'm glad that they serve anybody else. I'm thrilled that people like them, but really, you know, it's a, it's a clientele of one to begin with. And, uh, you know, what I, what I noticed inside myself was always this thought of when I get there, it'll be okay. If I just get that one check, it'll be okay. If that one client comes in, if that one deal comes in, if that book deal comes in, it's always over there that it's going to be okay. And what I realized is that life is all about uncertainty. It's always about uncertainty, especially if you're growing and if you're shifting. And so I wanted to help people thrive right now, where you are in the thick, in the middle, in the goo of it. I wanted you to really enjoy your life right now and to choose the highest possibilities and to uh, and to create life from that place. So that's that's really why I started exploring this book. Yeah, I, I you know, I really love the way that you wrote about it in the book and um, it reminds me in some ways of the old Greek Heraclitus um, who said, you know, you can never step in the same river twice. Mm. And, and people really confuse that because so much of the focus is about the river when people think about that, right? It's like, oh, it's a different river. But there's this, uh-huh. there's this other meaning, right? There's no you, yes. right, that can step in. Yes. Like, you have changed. The river has changed. Everything has changed in transition. Yes. And, you know, he posited that that was the core metaphysical root of things, of change, not steadiness and not constantly, not there, there. I love that. And I really love that, particularly for those of us who are in business or those of us who are, again, daring your dreams, even if it's in your ideal relationship or in a health situation or anything else, is that it's giving ourselves permission to begin again and to begin again and to begin again. Because there's sometimes, again, one of the things that made me write this was I saw so many people get disappointed you know, or feel stuck or feel like, well, it's not happening, or I should have been making a million dollars by now, or I should be on the cover of Fast Company by now, or I should have a company by now, or, you know, I should know what the heck my dream is by now. And so many times people got disappointed and thought like that moment of disappointment was going to be your whole life. And to your point, really to choose an inspired life is to really choose to begin again in this moment and to be original in this moment and to not choose based on your past, uh, but to really listen to what your instinct is saying now, your intuition, your the highest calling in you, because I deeply believe that there's something already leading you. And it's the daring to be original and open and available, no matter how many times you've been disappointed. Well, you mentioned that this book was um, also for yourself, right? Well, primarily for yourself is actually how you. And so, what um, uncertainty were you grappling with at the time that really made this like, okay, I gotta, gra- I gotta do something about this? You know, you know, it's really interesting. This came up during writing the book, and it was really interesting when I first started writing the book. Um, I noticed that I was kind of depressed. I noticed that it was kind of like flat. You know, I'd I'd written three other books. I loved writing them. I loved gaining a following, a national following and, and meeting people. And But if I'm really, really honest, there was the, the ambitious, crazy part of me that thought, you know, well, you know, I'm not best friends with Oprah and, and the New York Times isn't calling me. And, you know, and, and I, when I, so I started writing this book and I started having this ugly self-talk of what's the point, you know, I'm going to write another book. Yeah, it's going to be great, but I don't have a big fat marketing team and I don't have a big fat publicity team and I don't have a billion dollars to spend on it. So it's going to be pushing the pill. And so what I noticed is that I started, I stopped writing and I stopped caring about writing because I was listening to this ugly story. And if you had asked me why I was upset, I would have told you, well, because the world's unfair and it's not fair to creative people. And I really believe that story. And what happened, which was so life-changing for me, was that when I got back to writing, when I started writing again anyway, because I had to remind myself, hey, wait a second, what happened to the part where you love writing? What happened to that part? Of When I started writing again and not listening to the story, 
all of a sudden it was like, oh, yes, I know who I am. I know what I came for. Oh, my God, this strength is in me. Nothing can stop me now. And it made me realize yet again how much our stories stop us and that we think we're depressed or we think we're not, uh, that life isn't happening because of what we think or the story. But really, it's not happening because we're not showing up. We're not giving our all. We're not playing 100 percent. And so it happened to me. And so, you know, I was going through this personally and I'm queen of inspiration, you know, it's so like, so that was a lot of what I really wanted to include in this book. Yeah. I mean, we're both coaches and it's, it's really interesting because people will often present or they'll come to you and they want some external thing. They want some plan, some strategy, some app, some tool, some connection. They want something outside of themselves. And it's just one of those things, like when you do the work, you realize that most of it is, well, not most of it. A lot of it is getting people to shift their stories because, you know, my, my experience, and I'm, I'm seeing you not as probably the same. If people won't shift their stories, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can, I, I talk about it this way, right? So it's like, you got to look at the draw, the driver and you got to look at the car. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so many people are like, well, I, I'm, I'm in this little golf cart and <laughs> I want to be in a Corvette or I want to be in a formula one racer. And so help me get there. And I'm like, actually you're in a formula one racer, but you're Amen. driving it. Like yes. it was a golf cart. Right. Yes. Um, yes. and so where focus is on the wrong thing here. Right. And it takes a while to get there. So, um, when it comes to uncertainty, what are some of the stories that people will end up telling themselves about uncertainty that you think just gets them stuck and they can't go forward? Absolutely. You know, it's such a great point. I, lo- I loved your story because I really believe exactly what you said. I think we're all Formula One race cars. I think we have so much potential. We haven't, we don't even know, you know, that we have scratched like 1% of, of the possibilities and it's all about the stories. And so, you know, I think that most people are not afraid of uncertainty. I think they're afraid of certainty. I think I think it's not uncertainty that's really bothering you. I think it's the certainty of what you're telling yourself. You're telling yourself you're too old. You don't have enough education. Uh, you don't have the, you're not technical enough. You're not tech savvy enough. That's one of my favorites personally, um, you know, of, of, you know, you're not blonde, you know, you don't, you don't have a rich mate. I mean, whatever the heck it is, uh, you started too late. You started too young. We all have these stories that we're telling ourselves and we don't realize that they're stories. We relate to them as though they're facts. You know, and so, uh, you know, I, I had a, a experience many years ago of um, when I was writing my first book of um, believing in it. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have a publisher. I didn't have anything. And uh, at one point I'm writing it for many, many years. And um, I walk into a, a bookstore and there's a brand new book on exactly my topic. You know, and the whole time you're telling yourself, I can do this. It's OK. I'm following my bliss. All the books tell me books to, you know, tell me to follow my bliss. You know, and you you see this book on exactly your topic, and it's by a famous author. It's got a million endorsements. And this is a choice point of the stories, right? Because the negative story starts telling me, forget it. You're a loser. See, nobody needs you. You're listening to an inner voice. You're a nut. You know, like Charlie Manson heard an inner voice. You could just be a nut. You know, it's like I'm having a meltdown. It's in the self-help section, fortunately. So there's a little bench for me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a little bench and and tissues because that normally happens. People are like, oh, honey, here's some other books you could look at. Go away from me. Um, But but this is a choice point of the story because – there's a negative voice that's saying, it, you know, it's never going to happen. You've wasted your time. You've wasted your time on earth. Um, and then later on, I journal when I'm nuts. That's what I do. That's how I shift my story. That's how I talk to myself. And so I'm journaling and I literally hear an inner voice that literally is saying, um, you know, you just have to trust. You just have to trust. You have to trust this. There's a reason you have these dreams. There's a reason this is speaking to you. And so I think God chose to keep going. And so I always tell that story to my clients of that's a choice point moment of what story you tell yourself. And oftentimes you think that the negative story is practical or reasonable or good judgment. But here's one thing I want you to know. Any story that makes you feel less than, any story that does not make you feel good, any story that does not make you feel powerful or excited is not in your best interests. And you are the storyteller. And, I, and I'm and i not a big fan of like, oh, let's just make up stories of like, 
I am special and beautiful and it's all working out for me. I'm not saying that. I do believe there is already a deeper story in your blood. To go to your point, there's a Formula One story. There's a race car in you already. And it's really about listening to it. It's really about listening to it, but it's one of those things that for whatever reason, we seem to have a negativity bias, right? We can look at the same bit of data, right? Like both stories could be true or both could have the same amount of evidence to point to them. And unfortunately, when it comes to this whole story thing, um, I think we more often choose the negative story, right? When there's equal evidence of the positive story. So it's a choice point in that case. And so it's like, I'm with you. Like, you know, don't just make up stories. But when you look out on the evidence, a lot of times you have just as much evidence that you can be successful, that you can be happy, that you can thrive, that you are creative, that you are competent as the other stories, except for we nag, we hold on to that one sort of naggy story or that one inner critic one. And like that one's the truth. And all this other one, all this other stuff is bullshit. And that's, it's, frustrating that we're wired that way that that is absolutely true and and we are not innocent we are not just oh casually seeing the facts like that just happened like i'd like to see it differently but this is what happened that is not casual you are out there vigilantly looking to prove your beliefs true and if you are if you are not consciously and deliberately choosing to tell yourself different stories or work with your mindset you know, if you are not consciously and deliberately doing it, you are unconsciously always proving the other story, whatever that limited story is. And it breaks my heart to see people doing that because there is so much gifts in there's so many gifts, you know, as a coach and in people and intelligence and abilities that we're not even tapping. It just breaks my heart. You know, and uh, one of the things that I always tell my clients is uh, because I think a lot of times people go to that negative story, they're trying to make it realistic or they're trying to be practical because, again, they can't see how this is going to work or how this is going to happen. And I always tell my clients, you can't plan an inspired life. You're not going to plan this life. And your mind is trying to figure it out and, you know, get to the details. But the way that this works is it literally is breadcrumb by breadcrumb by breadcrumb. It's an instant path. It's not linear. You know, many of us have chosen that linear path, like my original story of, you know, get the right education, get the right degree, get the right bonus. And that didn't bring happiness. This is a different path. This is an inspired path of you are listening moment by moment to a deeper, higher intelligence that the world might not see yet or agree with yet. But that's why we're visionaries. That's why we're change agents. We are the ones who will see it first. And it will open up so many other possibilities. Well, it's not only that we'll see it first, but we're actually the ones that are creating those possibilities. Yes. Right. And so, and and sometimes you're creating things you can't see. So it's this really weird scenario where it's like, if you think that you have to see the future to create that, you know, a certain future, you've got it kind of backwards, actually, in some ways, right? Because of serendipity and synchronicity and just the dumb luck of you being in the right place at the right time, speaking your truth and making your thing, like new opportunities that you can't imagine are going to open up. Which you uh, you just led me into to something I wanted to say anyway, so that was perfect. <laughs> nice synchronicity there of of just because you know when I say that that whole thing of you can't plan an inspired life, it's that because many of us are so bright and we're intelligent, we're trying to figure it out, but you may be limiting your options because you can't see those divine appointments, synchronicities, coincidences that are going to happen. Um, when I got my first book published. It was an amazing synchronicity that way of because when I, you know, I I was sharing earlier that I'd been writing it for years and I didn't have an agent or a publisher or or anything. Uh, And at one point I was thinking, okay, how do you get it into the world? What do you do? You know, and so I'm researching commercial publishing and self-publishing. And I literally heard an inner voice that literally said, just put it in the river. Just put it in the river. And which it's like, what the hell does that mean? But uh, I knew it meant, you know, put it in the stream of life. It was supposed to go somewhere it would. So like self-publish it. Right. Um, and so I finally got the guts to do this. Uh, and, you know, I, part of me is, you know, how you get these answers and you're like more scared, like, oh, God, can I get a second opinion? I don't want that to be the answer. Now I have to put money into it and I have to do it. Why can't somebody just find me? But what happened was when I finally self-published my book after 12 years of writing this, I got an email out of the blue that said, your fairy godmother has arrived four months after I self-published it. If you get an email like that, you're going to think it's spam, right? You're going to think it's Russian girls are waiting for you, you know, (laughs) which is something like that. 
But it was actually a VP of marketing and publicity for Random House. And she had been in a career transition herself and struggling. And she uh, found my self, self-published book and wrote to me and said, you know, this time I dance, that's the first book, uh, is the best book I've ever read on finding your calling and on finding your dream. I love this book. I want to get it to a major New York house. And she did. She got it to the publisher I'd always, always dreamed of throughout those 12 years. And they, she got it to the president. They bought the book exactly the way it was. They bought the exact writing, the exact title. As an unknown author, I would never, ever have started off that way. And so if I had, you know, if I had done it the conventional way, the traditional way, everything you're supposed to do, which was limiting me, which I didn't have energy to do that, even though my ambition was telling me, you have to do it the way, you have to be normal. Why do you have to be different? Um And so that's why I always love telling that story, because I want people to know that you can't plan an inspired life. How are you going to figure out that that's going to happen? Right. How are you going to figure out I'm going to have a meltdown for 12 years. Some other woman's going to have a meltdown at the end of 12 years. We're going to hook up. And that's my business plan. You know, and so I deeply believe everybody has a path like that. Absolutely. Well, and it goes to your point in the book that you won't find clarity in your head, you'll find it in your feet. Right. And this kind of goes back to what you mentioned earlier is that a lot of it is just showing up. Right. Um, and showing up and, you know, very similar, like I, it turns out that the publisher that ended up buying the book that I'm working on saw me at a thing that I almost turned down. Wow. Right? Um, yep. and, and she was like, I got to have this book. Right. And that's how it ended up happening. But it was almost one of those things where it's like, I don't really know that that's going to be worth it. But at a certain point, I was like, you know what, just show up and have fun and do your thing. Right. Amen. And that's, that, <laughs> that's what that's- happened. And it it is the showing up. And again, because so many of us are in our heads and we're weighing our options and we're thinking, is this going to be worth it? And how much time do I have to put into it? And what kind of result will I get? And what kind of guarantee will I get? You will get no guarantee whatsoever from your head. From your head, you will get no guarantee and you will get no information from your head. You will spin around and spin around and be paralyzed. It's in your feet. You will not know what you love, what you don't love, what has energy, what doesn't have energy until you try things and explore things. I'm sure you've had this experience, but I know for me in my career, it's led me in places I never would have dreamed I would have gone. And I consciously wouldn't have thought, oh, wow, let me pick that one out of the catalog. That's for me. Right. But again, we you know, that's the joy of doing this path of living an inspired life is that we discover it, we uncover it. It's not, it's not something we figure out or know. And so again, for those of you who are stuck in your heads and, you know, are trying to spin the possibilities or do the Venn diagram or do the map or play mental chess. If I do this, they'll do that. If I do that, I'll do this, you know, and again, I'm a very heady person. So I know this of, Dare to follow your heart, dare to follow your soul, dare to follow an instinct, dare to try something, dare to, and again, pay attention. How does it feel? Does this give me energy? Does it take away energy? Does it light me up? Does it, does it give me heat? Is there energy? Because you may not even know what's going to excite you until you try it. Exactly. Well, we're going to come back to some of this daring stuff. But um, before we go there, I want you to tease out more of your idea that you owe it to yourself to make um, braver choices. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, again, because I think especially when, you know, when you're uh, in uncertainty and you're scared, the problem is you're scared. So you start thinking more vulnerably and you start thinking weaker. You know, like when I feel off, I start feeling more limited and I'm likely to choose less. Uh, And so. What I want to encourage people is to always make braver choices. And by making braver choices, as you know, if you've read the book, I'm a, I'm a pretty timid soul, you know, like I'm, I'm brave in spirit, but I'm, I'm, an, I'm a neurotic New York Jewish little person, you know? And so, uh, so I, in the book, I work a lot with how do you stay incredibly brave, but incredibly kind and fierce to yourself. And so I give an example, for example, of, um, you know, right. Uh, riding the subway train at one point of just like, um, I, I can be claustrophobic, you know, if, I, I can get nervous about that. And so one time I'm riding the uh, subway in New York City and it's a hot summer day and the air conditioner's out. So it's like 108 degrees, you know, and you're underground, every claustrophobic's dream. Um, and so part of me was going into the instinct of fear, like, get out, get out now, do it now, get out, you know. 
And I just kept working with myself gradually about, can you go one more stop? I won't judge you, honey. You, if, you know, if you want to get out now and just, you know, use your credit card, take a cab, do whatever you need to do, you know, I won't judge you, but can you try it anyway? Can you try one more thing anyway? And I did that stop after stop after stop all the way. And I use that analogy of like in your business or in your relationship or anything you're trying to shift, can you hold the biggest, bravest, goal for yourself, not judge yourself that you're scared or that you're awkward or that it's not easy. Um, But again, work both, right? Work that kindness and that gentleness and that non-judgment, but that fierceness of, I want to choose higher. I want to choose more. I want to be who I'm meant to be in this lifetime. I don't want to choose small. I don't want to back out. I do deserve love. I do deserve great things. I want to use my talent in this lifetime. I want to try again, even if I'm scared and disappointed. So how do I coax that out? So I work a lot on that in the book and, and with my clients. Yeah, there seems to be, um, I, I couldn't find the, th- the thread, but there seems to be, or I couldn't find the, the articulation of it, but there seems to be a relationship um, between inspiration and courage. Um, that when you choose inspired options or when you choose an inspired, li- inspired life, then there's something about bravery or courage or something that comes up there. So, you know, from your work and experience, what is that relationship? That's a great question. Look at you. I love that question. Um, You know, so first of all, I think you have to have courage to choose the inspiration. You have to have courage because, again, everything is weighing in on you not to. The whole, the media, we are, we are constantly inundated with statistics and facts and, and points of view. And then not to mention relatives, you know, not to mention family, God forbid, you know, who want to tell you, oh, I don't even want to tell you what happened to Uncle Joe. And it's like, I don't want to hear. Um, so we are constantly inundated with negative messages. And so it takes incredible courage to say, I'm going to try something that I've never done before, that I can't plan an inspired life. I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, So it takes incredible courage. But then the interesting thing that happens to your point is that when you take an inspired action, when you listen to that inner voice, when you listen to that fierceness inside you, something else kicks in, some juice kicks in, some heat kicks in. Like my story about when I finally started writing this book and went against the old junky stories I had, uh, when I when I started listening to that, all of a sudden that that love came back, flooding in. And when that love comes flooding in, so does your talent, so does your creativity. All of a sudden, your mind starts firing differently. One of the things I tell clients all the time is that when you do something you love, the guarantee that you have when you do something you love is that your brain is going to work differently. You're going to see different options. You're going to be a kinder person. You're going to show up for your partner differently. You're going to show up in your job differently. Uh, again, people are always looking so much for the outcome of how much money am I going to make or where is this going to lead? But it's going to it's going to change you right now in this moment. So to your point, uh, I think that when you choose an inspired action, it gives you courage. It gives you fierceness and courage you didn't even know you had. Um, but you have to have the courage initially to choose it. It's a, it's one of those strange paradoxes, and most of being a functional, creative person is learning how to work these paradoxes, right? In that um, you have to have courage to get the inspiration, but once you have the inspiration, you don't need as much courage, right? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know how that works, right? Um, but it reminds me in the Shambhala tradition, um, there's a concept called wind horse, wind horse, right? And the idea, um, Shambhala teachers are going to teach it way better than I'm going to express it. But the idea is that when you find your Dharma, when you find the duty or what you're calling, um, you are energized as if you were riding a horse on the wind. And so that's what it's the wind horse sort of thing. And it's like, so when you look at people in their genius or in their zone or in their inspiration and their calling and their Dharma or in their duty or whatever those words that we have around that, this idea of like, how do you find the courage to take the action doesn't actually come up. Like when you talk to soldiers, you know, who are deeply committed to the mission, it completely do it. And, you know, I have a military background, so I've, I've been asked this before. It's like, you're there, you're in this really terrible time, but it's not about making a brave choice. It's about doing what you're there to do. Right. Yes, and so, and it's the same thing, whether we call it inspiration or dharma or duty or, you know, whatever that is, you're just there to do the thing that you're there to do, or you're doing the thing that you're there to do. And it, the only question is, are you doing it or not? It's not, are you brave enough for it? It's not, you know, like, are you do it, doing it or you're not doing it? Um, 
it's a, it's a, I know if you haven't experienced that as a listener, like it's really hard, but I think we can all go back into those times, whether it's been an emergency where we just stood up in a way that we never thought we would stand up or this really, you know, time of duress where you found some reserves that you never knew you had. We're talking about that same sense of like when you're on point in that way. Absolutely. Right. Courage falls away. Like all those things fall away and it's just, you're doing it. Absolutely. You know, I, I love that example. And I love I've never heard the wind horse thing. I love that. And, you know, for me, the way that I, I relate to it. So um, I've taught a course in miracles for 30 years. It's a it's an international spiritual psychotherapy program of living in love instead of fear. Right. And so one of the concepts that it has um, is, uh, you know, and I use this one all the time. So like I'm a speaker and there are different times where, you know, in certain kinds of speaking, I am totally fine. I love it. It's easy for me, but there's certain kinds of engagements that make me nervous, you know, before, especially beforehand, you know, they're introducing you like, Oh, we're so lucky. We have Tama Keeves and I'm panting in the green room. <laughs> I don't know. How, I don't know how lucky we are, <laughs> you know? And so, um, but, you know, there are times in that moment when I'm really, really scared and I have to remind myself it's not what, you know, so again, this is concept from A Course in Miracles. It's not what I think I can do. It's what I'm willing to do. It's not what I think I can do. It's what I'm willing to do. Because again, going back to the stories, my thoughts of myself oftentimes are so much less or so much smaller than the grand potential that already exists, than the fullness that's in all of us. And so it's almost like we can choose from our smaller selves or we can choose from our bigger selves or our higher selves. And very often you don't even know, like you said, you don't even know that you have that higher self until you make that higher choice. That's why I am infinitely fascinated with this uh, field because I'm infinitely fascinated with turning people onto their highest powers within them. Because if you follow something you love or you follow an instinct or you follow, like you said, an assignment or a duty or something that is right to your soul, that feels right to you, there's a reason it feels right to you. There's a reason you have your dreams. There's a reason that something's calling to you that's not calling to somebody else. Or so, you know, I've never woken up and thought, oh my God, I have got to figure out how a carburetor works. That has never, ever happened. It probably never, ever will. For someone else, it will. You know, like for them, that's fun and exciting and, and, and they'll invent something. And so, again, I think we all have these amazing powers in us. The other thing I wanted to say about courage really briefly is that, um, uh, you know, sometimes people have said to me like, oh my God, I'd never have your courage. I could have never left a career like you left to go be a writer and to go walk out of everything. Sometimes courage doesn't always come from love. Sometimes courage comes from desperation. You know, for me, uh, when I first left law, it wasn't that I had this big, bold, brave conviction. It was that I, I was in so much pain. And I think if you're not doing your calling, you're not living your right life, you're not living what you came here to be, there will be pain. There will be smallness. There will be a constant ache or haunting. And that's a good thing because it's a reminder, hey, you're here for more. Hey, you're here for more. So again, pain can get you there also. If love doesn't pain well. Exactly. Um, that's what I call creative constipation, like for creative folks. <laughs> like when you're just not producing and you're not doing it, you will go toxic and it will have all the sort of things. And so it's just one of those things you either do it because you choose to do it or you do it because you have to do it. Way better to do it because you choose to do it. But hey, um, there is a fallback. To, gives new meaning to get crap done. <laughs> precisely. Um, precisely. But yeah, it's really a thing. Like we see more people who are sick and toxic and unhealthy because they're not doing the work that they're that they're there to do then when they actually do it and you realize that all the choices that you've made around the faux life that you're living mm. um, those start to fall away and you know what really came up is um, kind of to our to our previous point that um, you don't find clarity in your head you find it in your feet the other thing is your feet don't make stories mm. right your head makes stories and when you find this convergence of what you're here to do, and, you know, all the opportunities and things like that, all the sort of negative stories when you're doing it, go away. Now, Absolutely. when someone's giving the, like, we're so happy to see Tam, or we're so great to have Tama here and everything like that, that's where all the stories will happen because it's like, oh, crap, like, I got to deliver. And, and, and what came up for me is, as you're talking, it's like, we think in those moments, how is this going to turn out? Yes. And that's an irrelevant question. Yes. The question is really, am I going to show up or not? Mm. Um. Mm. 
And when that happens, I'm going to show up and do my best. And usually our best is way better than we think it's going to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the house is going to turn out irrelevant, but that doesn't mean that it's not working on us back there as we're both freaking out and like, okay, got to prep. What was my note? What was, what was my cue? Oh crap. That slant, that transition from slide seven to eight. I forgot. What is it? What is it? What is it? Right. You know, you know the deal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, we have so much pressure on us in this society about quote success and failure, success and failure. And to your point, showing up to me is the only success there is. You know, it really is like I give myself permission. The way that I've gotten through anything is giving myself permission that, Tam, if you show up and even if it quote doesn't go well and I'm a perfectionist and I'm an excellence freak and, you know, I want to get an A, you know, of of, and even if it doesn't go well. So what, honey, you got 100% because you tried, you're in the game. And you know what, this is like, to your point, this is Dharma, you know, or this is yoga. This is something we are practicing every day. How do I show up even more in my life for my true potential? How do I give it my all that way? And, and sometimes, you know, we measure failure in such crazy ways. You know, I had a client years ago, uh, of, I always tell the story because, you know, you, you hear all these stupid uh, statistics about, well, small businesses fail in the first, you know, uh, you know, 50% of them fail in the first year or whatever it is. I had a client years ago who wanted to start a jewelry shop and she had been, a, she had also been a lawyer and uh, didn't know anything about jewelry, didn't know anything about entrepreneurism, uh, uh, entrepreneurship. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so people were giving her all these statistics. Basically, she started the store. It started doing really well, but then uh, there were some traffic situations situation that was, uh, they were doing construction on a highway near the store. And so all the stores in this one little shopping mall started suffering because the traffic was being diverted. And so they all started slowing down. And so they started meeting about what do we do? And, you know, there was a photographer there at a gift shop. And so they're all talking about it. Anyway, the end of the story, she went out of business. So as far as the small business association statistic is concerned, she's a quote failure. The real end of the story, she married the photographer she met. And I love that story because you will never hear that in a statistic. But again, that's what I know with my clients is that there is a reason you are being called in a certain direction and we don't get to decide what it is. We don't know what success and failure is. Then maybe it is you're going to meet somebody. Maybe it is you're going to influence something. Maybe you're going to have a hard lesson and you're going to grow. We have to, as uh, you know, we have to redefine what failure and success is for ourselves constantly. You have to redefine what success is. For me, success is knowing that I am doing the right thing with my time on earth. That's my definition. It's not so much how much money I have in the bank or what numbers I have. I know that I'm doing the right thing with my time on earth. Well, that's fantastic. So one of the paradoxes that we've been talking about is sometimes showing up doesn't mean showing up for your work in the way that we're talking about. It means actually showing up for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, which means sometimes you have to not show up for your work because you need to show up for yourself, right? And so that's the tricky thing that I think we have to be present to, you know, as seekers and creative folks in general. Um, but what I really, what I really loved about, or one section of your book that I loved was your point about daring to be unfaithful or unfaithful, sporadic, and unusually true to yourself. Um, because I can see how so many people get trapped around being faithful and consistent and things like that. So tell us a little bit more about what you mean there. Absolutely. You know, so um, you mentioned you're also a coach and, and certainly in the coaching industry and, and in the business industry, there's all this, you know, all this uh, work about accountability and accountability and showing up and, you know, and doing what you said you're going to do and creating these lists. So uh, first of all, the the, uh, the one thing I'd want people to know is that I really think this work is not so much about doing, it's about undoing. It's not about doing, it's about undoing. It's like what we were saying before. It's not so much what you do, it's it's the beliefs that you undo. Because if you have a belief inside you that says, I'm never really gonna get there, it's never really gonna work, uh, you can write your heart out, but if that belief is um, pressing on you, it's gonna, it's gonna negate your abilities and your talent. It's gonna divert you, right? So, so much of this work, I'd rather people spending time on undoing, and, and what I mean by that, also is being kinder to yourself, relaxing, God forbid, relaxing, I will say it again, uh, resting, you know, all the things us type A's will never, you know, don't ever uh, consider valuable. Uh, And I've had to learn this over and over. Creativity does not come from manpower. 
Creativity does not come from brutal force. It just doesn't. Creativity is like a cat. You cannot chase it. You cannot make it happen. You have to beckon it, right? And you beckon it by taking care of yourself and by nurturing and walking and listening. So to to the chapter that you're talking about, daring to be sporadic and unfaithful, unusually faithful to yourself is... Again, this is an instinctive path. It's not a linear path. And so your linear mind might, you know, I'm a writer, for instance. And so, uh, you know, from my head, I might say, that's it. I'm going to write every single day this week. And I'm going to write from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock or whatever it is, right? I'm going to write that down. I'm going to make myself do that. That really might not be my best interest. That is manpowering from my head rather than listening to my soul. And so what I would rather for somebody is I want you to break your vows to yourself. I want you to I want you to um, not have those commitments sometimes or break your resolutions, but I want you to dare to come back anyway. See, that's the thing is that I want you to choose again. Maybe you, you didn't write like you said you would or you didn't show up the way you said you would, but will you choose again and show up and, and be original and step into that river again in this moment, right? And so for me, it's always about choosing again and choosing again and really staying present to what wants to happen rather than forcing what wants to happen because this is an inspired path. It's tricky because on the one hand, um, you know, creativity, I like to think of it as a coin, right? There are some times where it's that sort of, you're being um, sort of led by some other force to make something happen. And then there's other times where you just got to get button seat time. Right? Yes. Yes, yes, um, yes. And so there's this sort of nuanced message or the nuanced paradox here where it, um, I don't want people to hear Tam say like, oh, I don't have to be disciplined, right? I don't have to, I don't have to have a practice that I return to, right? That's not what she's saying, right? There are times and places, right? And I think when you're on a growth edge, mm -hmm. that's the time where you do want to be sporadic and unfaithful because you're trying to change something about yourself and whatever's faithful and consistent about your current self is not once there's some pieces of it that you don't want to maintain. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's such a great distinction. And I'm really glad you brought it up because it's again those paradoxes. Right. And so, again, part of what it is, is I'm trying to give you permission, like you said, to experiment and to explore and to find your own rhythm rather than impose it. But to your point, as a creative artist, I, I don't wait till I'm inspired. If I was waiting till I was inspired, we'd still be waiting, baby, a lot of times, right? So there is something about showing up whether you feel like it or not. What I'm really trying to cultivate in people in, in, through this book and through all of my work is a deeper listening. We know when it feels right and when it doesn't. And so I'm not talking about just moods. I'm not just talking about like, oh, I don't feel like it and I'd rather watch Netflix. That's not what I'm talking about. Because when I do that, there's something in me that doesn't feel good, right? It feel it does. I feel like I'm not being true to myself. So there's a time when staying true to a practice in that moment feels like a deeper commitment or like that dharma, and it feels healthy and whole. There's another time when it doesn't. There's another time when it feels like, wow, I really need nurturing. I really, you know, I really have had a hard day. Maybe I do need a walk in the park. Maybe I do need a break. And so it's this deeper listening and it's creating this deeper faith with yourself and this deeper trust. And you may have to experiment. You are going to do it wrong. You are going to watch Netflix when you shouldn't. And you are going to not watch Netflix when you should, right? And so again, it, you know, this is such a, my excitement is that everybody has this deep chemistry, this deep alchemy that I want to bring them to the deepest wisdom inside themselves that is never been here before. I don't have an answer for you. You know, I don't have a program for you that way, but you do have something. And it's this deeper listening and creating this relationship with yourself about honoring yourself, always honoring yourself. And sometimes it's more honorable to be kind. And sometimes the kindness is to be fierce, is to say, no, choose deeper, go harder. You can do this, go to your edge. So again, it's a practice. It's a practice. And I'm going to give a specific example here because I actually had a tussle with this last week or maybe this <laughs> week where, you know, I had a goal that I was going to write a thousand words on my book, right? And we're both authors, so you know how that can go sometimes. And I got to 933. <laughs> um, but who's counting? But who's counting except for me? 933. And I, I was stuck in this moment of like, is this a go back in moment? Like that it's a hard moment that I'm wanting to, um, to sort of go do something else because it got hard? Or am I done? Right? Am I just done for the day and I need to go do something else? Right? And so there's this, you know, three or four minute period of time where I'm like, well, I should go back in and, and get it done or what's going on. I eventually sort of 
set back and pauses. You know what? Um, I've written the amount of words that I'm going to do today. I need to get up and move and get something to eat. I'm just done for now. Right. And I had to let it go. I didn't reach my thousand word goal, which doesn't seem, doesn't seem that big important, that big at the, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But I think you have to pay attention to those choice moments like that and really get clear of like, what's, what's really going on here. Um, because, you know, I would have overdone discipline and grit had I been like, I'm going to get my thousand words and no matter what, because that's what I said I was going to do. Screw it. Like I'm getting it done. Right. Um, but it could have been easier in another moment to stop at 300 just because I was tired or I didn't feel like it that morning or, you know, I had this little hard part. So it's not easy is what we're both trying to say. It's not easy to figure this out. It's not easy. And to your point, you know, the reason the reason I, you know, I, I wrote that part about like be, daring to be unfaithful, unusually true to yourself by being unfaithful to a commitment is because for me, it's more important that you're cultivating a relationship with yourself than that you're meeting a certain goal. You know, so like we're, you know, we're in the beginning still of, of a new year, right? And so, so many people probably set, you know, intentions and resolutions and especially, or, you know, as a, as a coach, you know, like sometimes uh, my clients will want us to set like crazy goals. Like, that's it. I've never done this. And now I'm doing it every single day, you know? And, and I'm always like, let's tone it down. Let's make it easier. Let's make it gentle. Let's make you win. Because what I want, I don't care if you have a good run. I don't care if you have a spurt of discipline. I want this to be a lifetime. I'm not interested in a tiny, like you have a week of forcing it and being on, on, on it. You know, like had you forced yourself, you know, to come up with those extra 70 words or 67 words, right, of you might have injured the relationship with yourself, and that's more important than 67 words, right? And so many, many times for many of us, we're forcing a goal and then we're overdoing it and then it's no longer fun. Now there's a bitterness. Now there's an anger. Now there's an exhaustion. Now there's a lack of trust. And so for me, and it's hard, it's really hard. I mean, I, you know, I write about these things as I'm figuring them out as I go in the same way that anybody else is, is like cultivating that trust with myself about you know, can I trust myself to return to something? Can I trust myself to be kind and nurturing and then come back and hit it hard? And what I found is that the more trusting I am of myself, really trusting, the more I will succeed, the more I will go further. And again, I'm not interested in a short term goal. I'm not interested in you hitting it hard for a week or a month and looking good and then burning out. Like, again, like a lot of New Year's resolutions, everybody starts for the first month, joins the gym, and then that's it. So again, I'd want to, you know, again, if, if people are thinking of how to apply this practically, I'd want to say, choose a goal and make it so much smaller. Choose, choose the biggest, fattest, unbelievablest vision you possibly can. Make the vision huger than you feel comfortable with, but then take the goal or the step and make it tinier than you feel comfortable with. Because if you take tiny steps, it goes past your fear. It, it slips past the, amyg uh, the amygdala, that, you know, that lizard part of your brain that's going danger, danger, you're evolving, you know? And so again, just take tiny, tiny steps. That's going to help you more. Yeah, tiny steps. And on the self-talk side of things, like what I ended up in that moment was like, what would I tell a client? How would I treat a client in this scenario? Right. And I, it was so much clearer in that case, right. What needed to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like treat yourself kindly. And sometimes to do that, you have to externalize and say, if I were talking to my daughter about <laughs> this, what would I say? If I were talking to my partner, what, how would I approach this sort of situation? And then apply that same truth to yourself. Right. Exactly. Because it's true. Right. Exactly. It's just, and so, um, exactly. You wouldn't say that, God willing, you wouldn't say to that to your daughter, you loser, you know, you know, just and uh, and as you know, uh, in, in my book, I have a technique that I have sworn by that I use constantly for myself. It's called inspired self dialogues. And it's a journaling technique because we're talking a lot about, well, how do you get in touch with an inner voice or how do you be kind or or if you're in fear or anxiety. And I do exactly what you just said, you know, of like, so I will literally journal my fears like I'm loser. It's never going to work. Uh, you know, I'm not that I'm not that smart. I'm not good at business, blah, blah, blah. 
And then I will have the most loving voice I could possibly imagine speak back. And so sometimes that voice for some people is a spiritual voice. You know, if, if you're in touch with if if it's a religious belief for you, if if Buddha or Jesus or uh, or an angel, if that you know, if if you have that belief system, it might be that voice. For many of us, it might just be the voice we would use to our best friends or to our child or to someone we loved more than anything. You know, again because we talk to them differently, uh, and so. So I would have that voice right back uh, and, and it will always see it differently. And what's amazing, we have access to so much more wisdom. You know how we were talking about in the beginning, how you see the things that you're looking for. You see what you believe. Well, when you do these two voices, you know, like I, I go back to my uh, legal background and it's almost like the opposing counsel, you know, and it's almost like proving the other case where when my loving voice is speaking, it has different evidence. It has so much more different evidence. And I want to train people to train themselves to always be looking for where they're doing it right, how they are succeeding, how it is working. I want to train you to constantly and consistently being seen that so that you will go through any uncertainty and make higher choices, better choices for yourself always. That's fantastic. And I know someone listening is like, but who has time for that? <laughs> right. And I just want to slide in, like cut your Facebook time, cut your media crap time, cut all of that time and find this, this voice in yourself. Cause it's there. Like if you're looking for how to find time, cause we're talking, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day, like when you get stuck in the moment, unless you have really bad stories, which it might be a little bit longer and that's okay, but you will spend far more time thrashing about with that story than if you do this process. And I'm glad you mentioned that one, because I was going to ask you about the other two that you had as well. So you, um, so journaling, what were the other two that, that, that we should really think if we want to stay on our path here? Um, so I, you know, I put a lot of practical tools and, and uh, uh, different strategies in this book and the three tools I picked that you could work with consistently. So one of them is inspired self dialogues that we just talked about. That's my main go to. And again, for anybody listening, different tools work for different people. I'm never saying this is what you have to do. If you're if you're rolling your eyes going, oh, God, I don't journal, then don't, you know, of, again, find your tool that works for you, but do something consistently. Um, and so the other technique I have that's really, really powerful is called the win list. And again, uh, we train, we're training our brains to look for what is working and how we are succeeding. Because if you are not consciously doing that, you are unconsciously always looking for how it's not working, how you're not getting ahead. So if you have the feeling, if somebody's listening and you have the feeling like, why aren't I further along? Or I didn't get anything done today. Or God, I'm not as successful as Charlie Gilkey or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just like, if your brain is doing that, uh, most of my clients are always looking at where things aren't working. And so the win list is literally you you maybe take uh, five or 10 wins that you have every day that you write down every single day. And what a win is, it's not just an external thing. It's not just I made a client call or I spoke my truth to my wife or my husband. It might be that. That might be a win. But here's what else might be a win. I, I'm usually depressed for 30 minutes in the morning. And today I was only depressed for 29 that's a win because that's one of those internal shifts that no one else is ever going to see. And we're learning to be coaches for ourselves. We're learning to shift it from within. So I, I'm more interested in the internal wins. Uh, and again, you know, all the things like maybe you didn't write today. Maybe you were going to write on your book and you didn't write today, but maybe that's a win. Maybe that's a win because you were listening to this inner voice and you were nurturing yourself. And so again, uh, writing down the wins, you're going to start training your brain to be looking for these things. It's very, very helpful. One of the other techniques I have just also just to get in touch with creativity, just your ideas, uh, is a technique called free writing. And it's just literally, it's another journaling technique where you're just keeping your pen moving or your laptop moving and you're not editing and you're not editing. It's just stream of consciousness because one thing I know is that you cannot listen to self-judgment and inspiration at the same time. You can't be listening to self-judgment of what you're not doing right, how it's not going well, uh, and listening to inspiration and genius and creativity at the same time. So free writing bypasses all that because you're not judging it. You're just keeping your pen moving as fast as possible about a topic. And it's just, it's amazing the ideas that come out. So those are just some helpful techniques. That's fantastic. And you know, I'm looking at the time, Tim, and my how time flies when you're having a blast. Um, <laughs> I have two more questions for you. If yes. You, if you have time. So 
Um, what's the biggest source of uncertainty that you're currently facing right now? Ah! <laughs> Go to the jugular. <laughs> um, you know, one of the, I think the biggest source of uncertainty for me is always the same thing. It's like one of the things I'm always working, you know, you teach what you need to learn. And so it's what I'm always learning is that I committed long ago that I wanted to do my business in a different way. I wanted to do my business from an inspired way rather than uh, you have to do this, you have to do that, you know, because again, if you're uh, you know, if you're starting out on a dream or whatever, there's always a tendency to, you know, research. Oh my God, this person's doing a blog. Oh my God, that person has a podcast. Oh my God, this person's doing that and they're doing this. And, and I have committed long ago that I was not going to leave one crazy career to make another crazy career. And so I committed that I was going to take an inspired path, even in my business. And I wasn't going to, uh, do everything and force myself, but I struggle with it because the ambitious part of me is like, oh, well, great. Good for you. You'll be inspired. They're going to make a million dollars. They're going to reach all the readers in the world, but no, you, you're going to be inspired. Right. And so I, you know, I'm forever struggling with it because I have story after story of where it worked and it's beautiful and I'm excited and I'm thrilled and like, oh my God, it's working. And then I'll go right back into my own fear and I'll go right back into my own story about how it's not working and how I should, how I should be more ambitious and more driven that way. And so that's a constant, that's a constant walk I'm walking through, but I have to remind myself I'm in this to learn. I'm in this for myself to really learn which voice inside myself is true and my own deepest potential. And I'm also here training other people. And so I have to go to my own edge and I have to be scared too, which I hate because I'd much rather just look good. So that's what I'm always working with. And I take it that you're using the, um, you know, journaling practices and everything to work through that. Absolutely. No, that's just for everybody else. I just tell other people what to do. I never do my own stuff. No, <laughs> you know, for me, uh, it's absolutely that. And it's definitely, um, you know, for me, it's absolutely that. And it's also uh, a, a spiritual practice that helps me, you know, for me, it's course miracles. It could be anything for anybody else. I don't care what it is, but it's just this deepening of meditation. It's a deepening of listening to a deeper voice in all ways. One of the beautiful things, by the way, about the inspired self dialogues is for for me in writing it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, I've now learned how to hear that voice even without writing. And that's amazing. I'm training my mind to think differently. So yes. Um, and the beautiful thing, like we were saying before, the more you go into your courageous choices, your own bigger choices, that's where you get the courage. That's where it actually comes from. You you won't get it until you do it. It's amazing. You know, if I waited until I felt like I could speak or I felt like I could coach or I felt like I could anything, I'd still be waiting. But when you actually do it, this other power comes through you. This other ability comes. It's the rush. It's why we do creative careers. It's like, oh my God, I'm more than I thought. And so, um, yes, I will be forever working on on this and I will be forever going to my own edge. Yeah, it's inertia as applied to creative folks, right? Because what stays in motion stays in, or what's in motion stays in motion, and what's at rest stays at rest, right? Yes. And so, um, waiting begets waiting, and doing begets doing. Mm, beautiful. And sometimes, again, the doing is the undoing, right? There's sometimes doing isn't so much the actions we take, but the shifts that we have. Yeah, and it still worked. That's what I didn't say at that time. Is that the undoing is still a verb, as it were. Like, yes. it's still yes. an action. It's still work, right? It's just work in a different dimension. Especially since many of us have to retrain our, our ways of thinking because we think that isn't work. We think that that doesn't count, you know. And again, for many of us, you know, meditating or journaling is the hardest work. I'd much rather be achieving. I would much rather be in front of a client, in front of an audience, in front of a whatever. I don't want to be in front of my freaking mind with my stories. That is not what I want to be doing. That is the hardest work. That is the heavy lifting. And so sometimes people think that only actions count, but again, the right actions are what count. And for each moment, you have to listen to what that right action is. Amazing. All right. So as the guest for today's episode, you get to leave our listeners with an invitation or a challenge, depending upon which resonates with you. So based upon what we've talked about, what would you invite or invite or excuse me, invite or challenge our listeners to do? 
I guess I guess the thing that I most want people to know is that I I want you, I want to dare you. I want to dare you to do the most loving thing you could possibly do for yourself. And I want to dare you uh, to listen to what you think is a frivolous voice inside yourself. Something, you know, because many times when we when we really want to do something we love or believe in, it will it will sound silly to us or it will sound frivolous. And what I most want people to know is that your dreams and your desires and what you deeply, deeply want. That's not frivolous. That's imperative. The world needs your gifts like never before. And so the dream that you've always had, the little instinct that you've always had, the little, the voice that's whispering to you about, I've always wanted to travel, or I've always wanted to meet the love of my life, or I've always wanted to write a book, or I've, I want to start a business, or I want to call that person I've been thinking about. Whatever that voice is speaking to you, that's what I want to invite you to listen to more than anything else even as an experiment, you know, of just as an experiment for a week, I'm only going to listen to that voice. Tama, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been a blast. This has been really fun. I, I just love the interchange. I love, thank you so much for your great work in this world and for the ideas you're sharing and for sharing your gifts. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, listener. So you heard it from Tama. What can you do to take action on that voice that you have inside of you? What is it telling you to do? How is it telling you to love yourself? How is it telling you to move a little bit forward? Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes.